Welcome to that tech pod. I'm Gabby Schulte. I'm here with my esteemed co-host, Laura Milstein. Welcome, Laura. Hey, Gabby. So we have a really cool bonus episode for everyone today. Um, Laura, do you want to kind of give people the breakdown before we introduce our cool guests? Yeah, so we've had a lot of people that are interested in the topic of insider risk. And by a lot of people, it's me and Gabby for sure. But we think other people are also interested in this. So we wanted to have this... At least. So we wanted to have this very special bonus episode. And in doing that, we didn't feel that one person would be good enough to talk about this topic. We wanted two true experts in the field. So today we have both Joe Hochran and Lou Bladell. So Joe is the West Region's Digital Forensic and Insider Threat Lead for EY's Forensic and Integrity Service Practice. I mean, that title right there should scare everyone and excite them. And then Lou is also uh, surprisingly at EY as the managing director in the forensic and integrity service practices. So both of them are in different areas in it. Both have years and years and years of experience. Shout out to Lou, who was also with the FBI and NCIS. And I do have a lot of questions on that just to put that out there. But both of them have extensive backgrounds and experience. And if you're listening to this and you want to hear more already about both of them, don't worry. We will be putting this information on our website. Check it out. And you probably subscribe to us. So thank you and see it in our mail out. That being said, Lou and Joe, welcome to the show. Well, Laura, thank you very much for having us. Yep. Sorry, Joe. Awesome. So we're really excited to have both of you. Um, Joe, I'm going to pass it to you real quick. Can you tell everyone just a little bit more about who you are, how you got into this field, you know, how you're, how you're, uh, you know, just diving into insider threat. And then after that, Lou, if, if you could tell us more about that and NCIS, if the show is real, we'd like to know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I'm, you know, my path to insider risk, it, it's, it's interesting. I wore, worn a couple hats in life. Um, I, I was I was a cop. I was in law enforcement. I was a police detective for 12 and a half years. And that was kind of my foray into like cybercrime in the early 2000s when it was really starting to really, really explode in terms of like financial crimes, child exploitation. Um, ultimately, um, had a couple of positions within law enforcement. Uh, my last one being running a digital forensics laboratory and a cybercrime task force. Then I, I, I took an early retirement, went to the private sector, um, and, and really my focus has been uh, digital forensics, incident response, um, and, and really like technology consulting a, as a whole. Um, I would say where that kind of intersected and, and really where I, I started to work with Lou quite a bit is, is right around when, when the pandemic started. Uh, you know, we, we saw companies take a different approach to uh, to, to insider risk, we had we had employees working from anywhere. Uh, you know, we had a decentralized workforce. We had we had different devices kind of connecting to like uh, company infrastructure. Um, so so we truthfully started getting a, a whole lot of clients that were looking at at their programs, either either standing programs up or looking at their current maturity of programs. Um, so that's that's really you know kind of what led me to speak to you all today. Awesome. And Lou, so yeah, tell us a little bit about your background. And again, is NCIS real? Is that... It's funny. uh, Yeah. So um, I spent five years in NCIS, 20 in the FBI, and a year in the U.S. Marshals. Of the three organizations I worked with, NCIS was really cool. But to be honest with you, the FBI was a little bit cooler. And so um, I had worked a couple of murder cases in NCIS with the FBI, and that's how I ultimately launched there. 
like Joe, I spent a lifetime in law enforcement, uh, 26 years. I guess it makes me seem a little bit older. Um, and so when I was deciding to leave uh, the FBI, I was going to retire, and I, and I knew I was going to do that. I was running um, a division in, in New York City. There's a counterintelligence division in New York. Um, and my goal there and my role up there was we had a spy amongst us and inside a risk. And my goal was to resolve that case. And then I, was, I knew I was going to retire. And so um, how I got to EY and how I got to this, this role, I ran the Snowden investigation for the FBI. Um, and when we figured out how Snowden was able to steal the data from NSA and how easily he was able to steal it, our director at the time, Director Mueller, felt that we had a duty to warn. I mean, the FBI had a duty to warn. And so he put me literally out on the road. And I was out speaking to different agencies, different corporations on how easy it was for a systems administrator to steal um, important information for an organization. And so I actually did a couple of business development events for EY. And, and so I was at doing a couple of events. There was a Sony hack, if you remember, in you know 2014, 15 or whatever. Um, and then a couple different events. And then they, they asked me, hey, would you want to join our practice? And, and we're, we were thinking about setting up an insider risk team. And that was right in, in my wheelhouse. And, uh, and honestly, I had kids that were ready to go to college and I needed to pay some bills. And so um, I was able to retire from the FBI and then join uh, EY uh, really the next week. Yeah. Well, and can, that's can I, so. Oh, Gabby, oh, can I just ahead. say thank yeah. you so much for letting me introduce myself first? I always, always follow the guy who handled the Snowden investigation. Yeah. And it, so it's bad every, it, it, Yeah. It's always, I always follow and I always regret it. So thank you. Appreciate You're it. both yeah. great, though. Both your backgrounds are impressive. <laughs> well, Joe's yeah. brain's in the practice. So that's the, uh, that's the nice part of having him on the call today. So that's good. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have to ask about the, the Snowden thing. Um, are you able to tell us, like, okay, from uh, an insider risk perspective, what were some of like the big takeaways from from that case? Are you able to kind of tell us a little yeah. bit about that? I mean, it's been. I mean, the funny thing is, it's been nine years ago already. Which, or I'm sorry, it was, it's been nine years ago uh, this last summer. Um, Snow was really the mother of all insiders, and it really was because he was able to steal so much from NSA, and NSA really didn't know what he took, and so. My, my role in the FBI at the time, I ran the, S, the FBI's National Counter-Espionage Program. And so I had a team of spy chasers or media leakers that, um, that was in our, in our group. And so when NSA called after, there was, a, there was an article in The Guardian, if you guys remember, you know, it's, a little, it's a little dated. And the article had a couple top secret NSA slides off this PRISM deck. And the PRISM deck was basically when you get information via the phone taps, how do you process that and make it usable for decision makers in D.C. and, and Fort Meade? And so on the front page of the, um, of the Guardian was this, this prism slide. It was like this pyramid, raw intelligence and how it gets to the top. And that's what was run in the, what ran in the paper. And so I got a call from NSA's director of security because of my role within the FBI. I said, hey, listen, we obviously have a, a serious leak here. Um, can you help us with that? And my first question on any espionage or any insider case would be, how many people have access to this information? And initially... NSA's response was like 30,000. And I'm like, well, you know, generally speaking, it's whatever the number you think it is times three. And I'm like, there's no way we can dig through 90,000 people on figuring out who this was. And so we kind of talked it through a little bit more and we were able to narrow it down to about a dozen people. And within a couple of days, we were able to narrow it down to Snowden very quickly. And he had exhibited all kinds of alerting behaviors that nobody really took, took note of until we went back at it and started looking. And once we started looking back at it, it was very clear on what would happen. Um, he ultimately came out, I think, from the time the first slide was released, the first um, piece of information, to where he said it was him. It was about six or seven days. We knew it was him after about three or four days. 
I, and I know it's easy for me to say that we knew it was him, you know, and, but we did. And, uh, and so we were building our case um, at that time. He was in China. He was trying to continue to release the information, but he also misjudged what the U.S.'s reaction would be. Um, I think that he felt that he would be embraced as a whistleblower, as a hero for identifying what NSA had done. Um, but the reality was he was a thief and a spy and he stole a bunch of classified information from a, from a, a, a U.S. intelligence community agency. Um, and so there's a process of being a whistleblower. He never went down that process at all. He did, though, take a lot of data and then give it to the media and ultimately to the Chinese or try to give it to the Chinese intelligence services, the MSS, as well as the Russians, which ultimately where he ended up. And so the argument that he's a whistleblower, in, in my view, obviously, I'm, I'm going to take the pro-law enforcement side, is nonsense. And uh, and so, um, but yeah, happy to answer any questions. It has been nine years, but before Snowden was Chelsea Manning, he was a large leaker as well. That kind of got the awareness, at least of the defense industrial base and U.S. government agencies on building an insider threat program. But it never really got or never gathered steam until Snowden. And it was just because of what he had taken, which was so significant. Yeah. I, I mean, I need to take a minute to just fangirl right now. This is this is incredible. You guys are great. I love this episode already and really happy we're having it. So this question is is to either one of you. So don't be shy. I, I think when we're talking about insider risk and insider threat, these two terms get thrown around a lot. So for people that don't know, can you tell us what's the difference? Lou, I can yeah. jump in. I, I, yeah, I was going to say there, there, there's no difference. I mean, it, it, it's really it's really the change. In, I, I, you know, truthfully, and, and I know Lou would would echo this, um, you know, the, just kind of the use of the word threat, um, you know, was, was, was just in terms of these programs, when you're standing these up inside companies, you know, you need you need employee buy in. Um, you know, it's it's not intended to be like minority report um, that you're spying on your employees. Um, you need buy in. You need if, if, if you're seeing, you know, just anomalies in behavior from from coworkers, you need managers to report that. So so, you know, really, it's just a change. In, and it's really kind of a marketing approach, if you will, you know, just changing it, softening the, the terminology. One hundred percent. And it's one thing to have an insider threat program within the FBI where you assume that your stuff's going to be monitored. Same thing with the CIA or NSA or whomever. It's a whole nother thing. If you're going to do that at EY, you're going to do that at some other company. And, and companies are based around risk mitigation. And so if you think about, it's not threat mitigation, it's risk mitigation. And like Joe says, it's really is kind of softening a little bit. Um, it's not about like this Orwellian monitoring of employees. It's really about, okay, when you see some anomalous behavior, you need to figure out what that is. Is is it risky or is it just anomalous behavior? And uh, and so that's really the goal of the program is to help. Almost like an employee assistance program. If you have somebody going off the rails, um, what are the clues and is there a way to help them out? Every spy case I worked for my 20 years in the FBI, every time we went back and interviewed all the folks that sat around the person, all their coworkers, they're like, yeah, I knew Joe was a spy. I knew he was a spy from the minute I met him. And then, then the follow-on question is, well, great. Well, why didn't you say something? And uh and like all of us were conditioned not to rat out your brother, not to tell on anybody. And so I think people want to have an ability to have a system where they can say, listen, Joe's not coming to work anymore. He seems like he's drunk all the time when he does show up or whatever it may be. Um, and what does that mean exactly? And then, and then dig in a little bit. And so, uh, and so that's what it's about. It's, it's not about this, you know, all knowing government or all knowing corporation wanting to know what you do 24 seven. It's making sure that if you are in a position to hurt the company or you have a, a position that has significant access, you should be under a, an enhanced, you know, protocol. 
and I'll just add to that. And one thing I hope uh, people don't listen to snippets of this and hear Lou call me a drunk spy. Uh, yeah, I hope they listen to it in totality. But but I, I think also the, the other component is, you know, we're talking even like about these criminal investigations of like malicious insiders. There's an entire other side of this from a risk standpoint. There's a lot of negligent insiders, you know, just just, um, you know, somebody that clicks on a phishing email and, and you know, there's data loss like that. That's technically like an insider risk case, you know, but it, but it certainly wasn't malicious by the employee. Or we're taking stuff home to work. I mean, there's a lot of times people say, listen, I don't want to do this at home. Let me just download this. And then as you start downloading right. a bunch of stuff, they're going to set off a couple of alerts saying, well, wait a minute, why is Careless. he downloading this? Careless um, actors. Exactly. And that's the, that's the vast majority. I mean, the, the reality is I mean, the spies and, and, the, and the, the big impact type thieves are very interesting. And, uh, and they, they do companies great amount of harm. But the, the benefit to a company really is when you set this system in place, you're going to catch the non-malicious folks. And it's just a better security hygiene program. Um, on what, what's, you know, what's the best way of working from home? Is it downloading a bunch of stuff and putting it on your home computer? No, it's not. Making sure that you have two-party authentication or whatever the, whatever the system is going to be and make sure it's allowed that you can take that stuff home. Yeah. And, you know, that brings me to my next question. You know, you were talking about back with the Snowden case, you know, a, a whistleblower goes through certain procedures versus like a criminal activity. Um, what Can you make those distinctions for us and then maybe, um, you know, kind of go into what you would say might be more like generalized alerting behavior that, you know, people can look out for? And I know there is the distinction between a malicious actor. So let's, let's start with that maybe. And then we can talk about so the whistleblower piece. So if you are a whistleblower, um, you generally have to notify your chain of command at your company or your or your agency. If you choose not to do that, you can also notify Congress if it's a government agency. And so um, we we took great pains. And I used known as an example because I think there's such a misnomer that he was a whistleblower. And in reality, he never was. I mean, he, he never one time went to a supervisor saying, hey, listen, I think NSA is tapping too many phones here. Are we sure we're doing the right thing? And, uh, and that never happened. And conversely, he went to a supervisor and said, hey, I want to get access to some more secret stuff. Can you give me your credentials to do that? Um, and unfortunately, the supervisor allowed him to do that. The same side, he never went to Congress and said, hey, listen, I know you guys approved the FISA Patriot Act, but isn't that too much? It never happened. And, and so he really got to a point in his career and he said, listen, I think NSA is doing too much. I'm going to take a bunch of data that's going to show what they've done, what they're doing, and I'm going to release it to the media. Um, that is not a whistleblower. That that's a disgruntled um, employee who's trying to make a point. And and you can argue um, whether NSA did too much or, or not enough. I mean that that's that's a, that should be an open debate, but it shouldn't be driven by somebody who steals a bunch of data and releases it to media um, to cause that conversation. And, and so you can say, hey, maybe the ends justify the means. I would argue that point, but I, but I think if he wanted to be a, a whistleblower, there's a whole process to do that. And he simply never even one time took took any action to do that. And so I guess maybe the next point, Joe, if you want to touch on, um, you know, the data around what we, what we would look at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the malicious, uh, you know, I mean, truthfully, a lot of this is is changes in, in behavior. You're getting a baseline in terms of and, and from a technological standpoint, especially in the current environment where we have a lot of people working you know, all over work from anywhere. Uh, you know, those technical alerts and monitoring are, are, are really like what formed that baseline. I mean, even still, I think the Gartner report was recently released and like the stats, 42% of insider cases still are data theft, like intellectual property theft is still number one. So, so, I mean, that's what we're, 
we're dealing with the most. There's certainly other use cases. There's sabotage. There's some some other things. But at the end of the day, what we're we're losing is is data. You know, and how do we how do we detect data loss? Um, you know, realistically, um, you're looking at you're feeding in a couple of things. I, I I don't remember the stat, but it's something fairly high. It's like 44 percent or something of like data loss happens in like the last like 90 days of an employee like working at a company. You know, they're 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 planning to make an exit, you know, they're interviewing elsewhere, they're, they're going to a competitor. So, so realistically, you're looking at a couple of things. You are looking at, you know, HR data that, that may detect like some changes in, in either, you know, behavior, there, there's issues at work, um, you know, wh- whatever, maybe there's something at home that we're not aware of, but they're bringing that to work in terms of, you know, the, their change in attitude. Um, and then we're seeing that, that change in behavior in terms of like their baseline. So, you know, for example, maybe I, Maybe I download, you know, a hundred files on average from our EY SharePoint site, and then all of a sudden I download ten thousand, you know, that that week. You know, that those things are going to flow up, uh, throw up, excuse me, uh, red flags. Um, you know, and and then it's going to be up to analysts um, to, you know, obviously check those out, corroborate other, you know, artifacts that may exist to, you know, kind of show like there's something something going on here. So I just want to I want to throw a curveball here. I want to just throw something out there. It's football yeah. season. Um, I'm a football fan. Uh, sadly, I'm a Commanders fan. I can't even Oops, say that. that. And, uh, me too. Me too. Um, R.I.P. Redskins. Anyway, with that being said, when you look at a football team, you have the entire team wins the game, right? You don't, not one person, it's, it's the team. And so you break that down. Is it really that you have to have a good quarterback? Do you need a good kicker? Is it based on your running back? You've got a lot of different components that come into winning the game. So on your end, you guys have tons of experience. You're working at EY and you're, you're coming in and saying, Hey, we need to figure this out. So, you know, this person did something wrong. This company was breached here. Something has happened. Who are you in, in the team? If you were to take the field and you were to say, here's who we are. This is how we win the game. Who are you? How are you stopping the other team being obviously the threat? What does that look like? Um, and then the second part of this is when you're looking at this, can you say what industry has the highest amount of internal threat actors? And I'm saying that because then it kind of, if you're a football team, you know which team you're playing against. Are they a high threat? Are they not? So maybe this is a, is a stretch of a question, but I think you guys can handle it. So, so on the stats, I'll, I'll answer that backwards only because it's fresh in my head because I, I literally just read the report before. I mean, the top two sectors yeah. for insider threat cases are financial and, and actually the public sector. Um, th- those are actually like the top two, um, but it certainly exists. You know, else, I mean, we do a lot of investigations for uh, intellectual property theft. And, and truthfully, that hits every vertical. Uh, you know, we, we have, you know, every vertical that where we have those types of investigations. Uh, in terms of, in terms of, uh, I'll let Lou answer. I'm maybe the water Listen, boy, maybe. Uh, yeah, um, on the sideline. I would say, but, Lou, what do you think? Defensive coordinator. So I would say we, mm-hmm. we would go in Twist. and take a look at it. wouldn't be a player because I agree with you. I, you know, as a huge Chicago Bear fan, who I have equal misery the last 20 years, um, you've got to help these guys understand what's the important piece. You have all these players, and what players would we want to look at would be the ones that have the most impact to the team, the quarterback, the linebackers, receivers and running backs. And so those would be the guys who would have access to the, the, the sense of information, the plays, whatever it may be. Um, those are the ones that you'd want to have. You don't need to cover. I mean, some companies cover everybody in an insider risk program. I don't necessarily recommend that. I mean, the ones that do that are usually your defense industrial base or your government agencies. 
Um, the companies that we talk Your to quarterback. Who, exactly who's got access to uh, who's got access to intellectual property. Okay, the, who are the systems administrators? Those folks need to be under a, a more of an enhanced protocol. Um, and then also you need to tell them that say, listen, you guys are an invaluable piece on this team. This is why you're going to be under this protocol. Because if you do this covertly, you're really just creating more problems than you're solving. And so, because people don't have a problem knowing what's happening, they do have a problem if it's some sort of covert action. Um, and so when we talk to companies about this, we always like, listen, this is a training opportunity too. You want to do this, and it sounds so simple, but it's true, to see something, say yeah. something. You want to build that mentality in your company saying, hey, listen, if somebody's going sideways and we see that, is there a mechanism to report that out? It doesn't mean that I'm telling on Joe. It doesn't mean I'm telling on Laura. It means I'm saying, listen, they may need some help here. And some of the best insider risk programs are really under the umbrella of an employee assistance program. And so so I think the long answer to your question, I would say defensive coordinator, because you got to coordinate um, all the different moving moving parts to make sure that you keep what you want to have, you know, what your plays are. You want to keep them disguised until you actually do that. Um, yeah. The players are going to be the personnel that come and go. And so, but hopefully the, the coaching staff or the coordinators are the ones that are going to be kind of the, the glue on the, what the plan is on how do you protect yeah, coordination is a good thing I, because I think one thing that we coordinate often is like know where your crown jewels are. Like, like you know, like because that's yeah. really what you're trying to protect. So, so you know, using your your football reference, that would be like know where your Lombardi trophies are, which neither of your teams have seen in decades. So, yeah. you know, there's nothing to protect. I think Lou, you kind of covered this a little bit, but in your insider risk American football team, when you're when you're sitting there with your team and you guys are getting out to like let's defend this play or whatever, is there anything that can be done? And it, you know, we could, we can leave football if you want, but what can be done to really mitigate risk? And again, you covered this a little bit, but is there anything when you're kind of looking at it? You mentioned training just now and, and education, but can is that going to, you know, solve through software and permission restrictions? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. What, what can the, you do there? I mean, Joe and I can both answer. The, the, the most important thing is you got to set the, the importance to the employees. This is why we have this job. This is what company X is producing. This is why it's important. Number one. Number two, the individual employees don't own that widget. They they help make, they help perfect it, they help manufacture it the whole bit, but it's not theirs. And so what's theirs is their paycheck every two weeks, the retirement system, whatever it may be. But there, there's not ownership into that system that the, the company makes. And I think when you talk about <clears throat> what do you want to protect, how do you want to protect it, it's a nice reminder for the comp- the employees to say, listen, I'm, I want this company to be successful because if they're successful, I'm successful. Um, and and it, it just makes them more part of the team going keeping with your football reference. When it's isolated and it, people don't know it, if it's happening in a vacuum, they don't feel like they're part of the solution. And I think that the insider risk, insider risk programs that are the most successful is with the ones where employees and, and you know, executives, employees, everybody feel like they're, the, they're part of the solution. This is how we're going to protect our company. When you think about the attacks that any U.S. company's under, whether it's IP theft from China, whether it's disgruntled employees, I mean, can, we're just, it's just, or just careless employees, there's so many areas where you can lose your competitive edge. The insider risk piece is almost like an umbrella. Okay, how do we get a better handle on limiting some of that risk. You're never going to get rid of all the risk. And anybody ever says, like, if you put this program in, you will never lose IP. That's nonsense. But you can certainly 
get to the point where you feel like you have a pretty good handle, you update it, and it's and it's part of your normal security protocol. NSA was great about getting in and out of NSA. You had to, you know, give them a badge, your practically your blood type to get in the building. But what they weren't good at was understanding who's got access to the sensitive information and what if they download it and take it out? What's the program? And they didn't have a they didn't have a program. And so Snowden literally downloaded onto thumb drives and walked out the front door. And uh and and he downloaded over 15 sessions over nine months and, and the download sessions were eight hours and 31 minutes. I can throw all these ridiculous stats at you guys. And the reason why we knew how much data he had taken is how fast the computers download to a thumb drive. That's how we knew what he took. We didn't know, we knew the amount he took. We didn't know what he took. And we knew that he scraped four terabytes worth of data from NSA net. We know he downloaded 1.7 terabytes, but of that four terabytes, the 1.7, we don't know what it was. And uh, we know, well, what the four was, but once again, that's a huge variance of what he actually took. And then what ultimately he took and then released was a very small percentage of what he ultimately grabbed. And so that the point of that is, I guess, is that you really, you want to put, you want to mitigate some risk. You want to get people to understand like, hey, this is important. This is why I'm working at this company um, to keep, help them be successful. And it shouldn't be a free for all. And Laura, oh, and I was just going to say to answer, since as the tech nerd on the insider risk team and on a tech podcast, yes, you can dial up. I mean, you can dial up like the technical, um, you know, controls for for that. So your, you know, your DLP, your data loss, you know, prevention systems, your 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 just your security, um, you know, whatever you're using for like alerting and monitoring and, and the rules you put in place. So so what we see very often is you know those those tools maybe aren't configured, you know, as as best they could be. Um, you know, but the companies that are catching that stuff, like when they're seeing like IP, you know, walk out the door, you know, they got their their um, rules and controls really, really dialed up well, and they have people monitoring those. You know, there's certainly been uh, companies that you know are getting the alerts, like the the technical controls are working, but you need somebody on the other end, you know, um, you know, obviously checking on that, you know, in, in an expedient manner. So, yeah, no, that's super interesting. I, my next question, kind of, is. You know, we mentioned we obviously Lou talked a lot about Snowden. Um, has there been anything in recent years that have kind of compared to that event of a, an insider risk? Um, can you kind of show give us a couple examples um, and then kind of a follow up to that with, you know, the advancement of technology? Do you think that is on the favor of mitigating insider risk or it happening more often? I think I'll, I'll speak to it culturally first. I think culturally my generation, and I don't feel like I'm this old, but I am, I stayed with the FBI and government for 26 years, right? So I, I, I'm one of these guys that you join a place and you stay a long time. And now I've been at EY for six years. I think the modern workforce goes somewhere for a couple of years and they go somewhere else. And so it's a very different mentality and, and and it goes into the thing like if you're part of a group that produces something you're going to feel that you have ownership of whatever the widget is that was created but you don't and uh, and so i think that's that's the difference like joe said hey people are getting ready to leave we have a whole employee departure program within ey as well and so we help companies understand if somebody's going to quit or somebody's getting fired what are you doing to make sure they're not walking out the door with all the all the sensitive information and so I think there's a there's a more of a tendency to bounce from job to job to job now than there was, say, when I was coming out of college in the late 80s. And, and so it's one of those things that um, you got to better defend that 
the tech the technology is much 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 better but the reality is there's no technology that's foolproof um you have to have good tech but you also have to have good systems in place meaning you know if you are at work and people can see somebody going off the rails meaning they're not showing up on time or they're making a lot of copies or downloading a bunch of stuff or they seem like they're disgruntled you know whatever the, the clue may be what are you doing to uh to help address that and uh, and i think that's harder now with the work from home because we're all on a zoom call we're all sitting in remote somewhere and you have less of that I guess team mentality that that may have been may have existed ten years ago. But Joe, what do you think about that? Yeah, I got to speak first on one of these because I forget the question by the time it gets to me. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think I think in terms of cases, you know, not 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 necessarily specific, but I'll I'll say this, Gabby. Like eight years ago, you know, I, I came to the private sector, and I, like the number one use case for digital forensics for me was intellectual property theft. You know, uh, employees like you know taking intellectual property, taking customer lists. I know you have a lot of forensic examiners that listen to this podcast. And I know they're going to agree with that. Like that's and and eight years later, that's still that case still walks in the door. We're still getting the exact same cases. So I mean, like in terms of like culturally, I think like you know you see employees that want a competitive edge when they leave an employer, go there to lose point. You do have more movement in the workforce. So you know it you know maybe maybe that's also leads to you know why these cases exist you know as much as they do. Um, but you know we still see it. You know that that employees are, and you know maybe it's less like USB drives because you know those are turned off. But you know it's now it's cloud repositories, it's email, it's it's screenshots from you know mobile devices, which which is you know another you know massive issue as it relates to insider. You know in terms of like the data, you know how you're tracking that data, which makes it much harder. You know and you know if not impossible, you know there. I just want to um, say something about the employees because you mentioned employees and I just have to give a shout out to EY. Gabby and I don't work for EY, which is crazy because we love EY clearly because everyone that we brought on, you know, we brought on Jenny Lee, we brought on Mary Beth Banachek, um, both you guys. I think that we have some really interesting conversations with people from EY and the knowledge that you guys always have, everyone from EY just blows us away. So shout out just to, I mean, some days Gabby and I are like, should we work for EY? Cause I don't think we're, I don't know if we're qualified enough. Honestly, you guys are just no, above well, we, everyone. We pale in comparison to Mary Beth and Jenny. Uh, so, so, you know, that's, that's hard to follow that, but, uh, but thank you. Yeah, you all have have been super great. So we don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, I know Gabby had a question that she is excited to ask you guys. Um, so I will pass it over to her. But I just I just need to shout out. You guys are so great. I'm, I'm loving this bonus episode. I was, like, I was like, we could I could keep you guys for hours. So I'm like, oh, I know we got to go. So. Joe and I are great around a happy hour. So uh, maybe that'll be the problem. We might have to take yeah. up on that. Um, well, OK, so last question for you. Um, I think this is a really interesting one. So definitely want both of your perspectives. Um, what can you tell us about sort of like future trends in insider risk mitigation and also maybe, you know, uh, what do you think some threats are that are coming down the pipeline that people should be paying attention to? And so, yeah, like take us a couple of years down the road as, as long as you want to go and, and just give us your take on that. Can you also you, 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 you go first. Advice. I've been monopolizing this, so you go first. Now. I want some advice too. Can you also, for everybody listening, when you're giving the trends and you're telling the few like the future of what's going to happen, can you give like our listeners some advice? Like, what should they be doing and what can they do when it comes to these trends? 
Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot in there. There's a lot to unpack there for sure. I mean, I would say like so only because it's also fresh. Lou and I are speaking at a conference today on insider risk in Santa Monica. So like we're literally talking about like current trends. So I'll t- kind of talk about just very quickly some of the things that we're seeing like right now, like as as contemporary trends. But then like future, I think like we can get a you know a little more uh, you know kind of wild in terms of like where things potentially go. But like right now, one one thing that's like really interesting is I, I mentioned it, but like mobile screenshots, like you're seeing technology uh, basically like anti leaks, uh, you know, like like um, uh, markings, you know, on documents. So like you could track, um, you know, like like actual screenshots you're taking of documents and things like that. I think that's really interesting. So I think we're seeing like some really cool technological advances. Um, to try to combat this, um, the problem has 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 grown year year over year. Um, so I think we're seeing that. As, I think that's a really interesting trend. I think from a trend of the cases is you know work from anywhere doesn't appear to be going away. Um, so what we've also seen and and it, what has hurt these cases you know really in a negative manner is we don't have people face to face. You know so so we don't have managers sitting with with staff in in the office being like you know what like. Laura's acting a little goofy from, you know, a month ago, maybe something's going on. Maybe I need to report that to HR. You know, we're, we're really having to put technological controls because, you know, we're, we're seeing companies where employees never, never meet. We're also seeing, uh, you know, state sponsored, um, um, you know, really nation states taking advantage of that. Um, you know, there are use cases of, uh, of, of coordinated attempts to like, you know, apply to jobs you know, on on LinkedIn or job boards, get them, get hired, get shipped a laptop, um, get access to the company's you know you know intranet, um, walk away with sensitive data, and 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 you know ghost the company. You know they never work another day. I mean you know those are real use cases. Um, so I so I think like work from anywhere. I think like you're seeing changes in behavioral and risk scoring of how you kind of do that. You know, is it just like you know, my change in downloads or, or be looking at other behavioral analytics. I think that's a real big trend. And then I think, and I'll, I'll stop talking after this. I think one of the things is, you know, what we're seeing is, um, you know, like the metaverse, you know, we're seeing like different, like, like we're seeing web three, you know, 3.0, like we're seeing the metaverse, like meaning what is that going to mean for these types of cases? It's like, where does data live? Like, you know, other means to exfiltrate that from a company and, and move that elsewhere. You know, we're going to see novel techniques, you know, um, you know, cropping up. And the only I'll add to that, again, and it'll go back into the, the nation state issue. In China, there's a thing called the Thousand Talents Program. Okay, so what that is, is there's a bunch of technologies that China, China wants. They, they can't out-develop the states, but they can out-steal us. And so what they do is they, they identify this certain technology that they want. They'll have a kid come leave China and go to school here in the States, get employed by whatever the company that creates that. And then stay there and then slowly move their way up. And, and the thing about you think about the states, we don't have the attention span for this. We, we are we're quarterly driven. We're just fast, fast, fast. The person, the, the thousand talents person joins whatever company. Ten years down the road, the Chinese MSS will knock on his door saying, hey, listen, we helped you with school. You know, grandma's got to go to an old folks home. What can you give us from the company that you're at? Keep in mind that whatever you give us will impact the rest of your family's life in China. And in your current state status with us, and so that soft extortion works, and uh, and you see folks with divided loyalties, and I'm not just picking on China, with divided loyalties saying, okay, well, listen, I have this option to do nothing, or if I do this, everyone in my family is going to benefit from this, and I have a little bit of risk of stealing, but this is does that risk outweigh what I'm going to receive? And so the Thousand Towns program is not some super secret Chinese program. It's you look it up on online, and it's a it's a well known program. 
that they're very aggressive in pursuing. And what that is, is economic espionage. And so the states does not practice economic espionage. We don't go send students overseas. We're not trying to steal other people's secrets. However, we are a victim of that. And, and I testified in front of the, the U.S. Sensing Commission about 10 years ago. And the goal of my testimony was we need to lessen the penalty or make the penalties for theft of trade secrets equal to economic espionage. Economic espionage, you have to show foreign control to prove the elements of the crime. Theft of a trade secret just means you got to show that the person stole a trade secret that's being defended by the company. And so we were able to do that and, uh, and we were successful in that. But it, it goes to the point that it's a very long battle. It, by the time the FBI gets involved in it, it's, it's too late. The secret's gone. Whatever your IP is, it's out the door. Um, we got to help companies understand that they're under attack. We have to help them defend that. And I think it's both. I think it's obviously through technology, but you also have to set the, the you got to you know, prepare the field um, and coach them up on training, policies, procedures, and, and get that type of mentality around you saying, listen, we're, we're producing X. We need to protect X if you want to keep your job and keep this company going in the right direction. And so I think that's where we need to, we need to focus on. Joe and I, a lot of times, we'll go to a company that they bought some technology and they'll be, be they'll never really, they won't even plug it in correctly, effectively. And then they'll say, well, this is stupid. This doesn't work. You know, this insider threat stuff is nonsense. Well, the best way to do it is get the policies, procedures, get kind of get that field set and then pick the technology that can best help you. Um, and that's kind of the area we're at now with our with our practice. And so I, I do think it's a growth area. I, I think it's one of these things that when I started in EY six years ago, we were very aggressive on Insider. We were probably a little bit ahead of where the, the mainstream corporations were. There's a little bit of a lull, and now it's kind of come back since the pandemic. And I think since the pandemic and based on um, the level of theft that's out there, Companies are nervous about it, and they should be. And I think that now is the time. Okay, how do we help them um, tighten up their defense, as our defensive coordinator uh, mentality should be? It all comes back. It all circles back. It all right. comes back to football. Um, <laughs> well, exactly. Joe, Lou, thank you so much. I feel like we need to have a part two, right, Laura? Because there's already a lot and of I questions was just like, from why, that last answer that I'm just like, oh. why is this not an eight hour day? Yeah, let's, yes. let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. No, we're, we're good for a happy hour too. So let us know what you guys want to do. And we're happy to uh, happy to entertain it. So Laura, we just talked to uh, insider risk experts, Joe and Lou from EY. Um, tell me what you thought. I mean, I honestly could have had them on the show forever. They were so interesting. And I, I'm glad we did this bonus episode because I think it's it's a topic that we need to be talking about more. And both of them were perfect for this topic. But I think, honestly, we, we should really pass the mic to Kevin. For those of you who listen to our show, Kevin runs our education department. He also not just is educating, um, but he is a tech connoisseur himself with a a large background in forensics and insider risk. So Kevin, this is your this is your sweet spot. So tell everyone what did you think of this bonus episode? What did you think of Lou and and Joe? 
I thought it was awesome. I really enjoyed it as well. Those guys are definitely badass, uh, as you said, um, and I would definitely want to be included in the happy hour for sure. I have a thousand follow-up questions. Um, I agree that I could I could do my own separate you know bonus episode off your bonus episode, <laughs> um, and um, hopefully bonus that'll have it happen. <laughs> exactly, that's right. Uh, but no, I thought it was really interesting. Um, as you mentioned, my background is absolutely you know in this. My background is more from the incident response um, side of this, where you know something a breach has happened or something has happened, and now we're collecting, as opposed to being more pro proactive. Um, and so for me, that piece of it is really interesting. Um, you know, oftentimes we're dealing with, um, you know, how do we solve for um, an incident that's already happened, right? The incident has happened. We now are trying to collect and try to figure out sort of the scope where with what he's saying was when it's like, especially with like Snowden and some of these other, you know, cases where he's trying to figure out, you know, what happened and how do they do it and how do we stop that in the future? For me, that piece of it is really interesting because, um, you know, the careless actor um, seems pretty obvious, right? That one, you know, you can put together, you know, links, you can make it so you can't, um, you know, uh, download a file. You can't plug in a USB. That makes sense to me. But you know, people are getting more sophisticated. People are always going to, you know, have the ability to take a picture with their phone or you know, do something you know interesting. Um, and people are already always going to be devious. You know, when he mentioned people signing up for a company, you know, getting the laptop and then ghosting that company. For me, that's a thing I never even considered. Right? That obviously, you know, that's you know, clearly that sounds like it's a real incident. You know, a real thing that happens. Um, you know, that scares the hell out of me. Um, and so for me, that kind of stuff is really interesting. Um, and I have, you know, um, I definitely think they've raised some points that I think are really fascinating. Um, and so for me, I thought this was a really great episode. I really enjoyed it. And um, Kevin, Kevin, yeah. did you you worked for a lot of the big four Deloitte, KPMG, PwC? Why haven't you stepped up and gone to EY? Because we're big fans. Good question. <laughs> yeah. So I worked for uh, for PwC and for KPMG. I also worked for Huron uh, Consultant Group and all. So I've definitely been in and around this you know side of it for a while. And honestly, it just never had the opportunity. Uh, but I'm certainly going to, you know, look out for it. And and uh, I think I may try to reach out to these guys and ask some follow-up questions. Did you um, hear that, CY? Yeah. Kevin likes you, too. <laughs> right. um, no, but... The happy hour as well. That's right, exactly. I definitely want to be invited to the happy you're hour. In, you're in. I think this was a great episode. Um, with that being said, thank you all for listening to a second episode this week of a special bonus on Insider Risk with two experts from EY and their forensic and insider risk department. Joe and Lou are amazing. We appreciate all of you and stay tuned for our next episode to be released on Tuesday. Uh, don't forget to check out our website, www.thattechpod.com. Uh, subscribe, put your email, get some swag, check us out on LinkedIn slash that tech pod everywhere else. Gabby, what should the people that are listening to this incredible insider risk bonus episode do that I didn't just throw all over the table already? I mean, obviously, they should go check out um, EY's insider risk information. Uh, and also, they can they can go to um, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, anywhere you're listening to this podcast, and give us a five-star rating or review. It's a free way to help out your favorite podcast. So why wouldn't you just do that? Um, and yeah, maybe we'll all go to happy hour one day if you give us a five-star rating interview. See you at happy hour. See you at happy hour. <laughs> <laughs>